You did a good job today. All right, I'm going to turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. This is the word of the Lord. Acts chapter 16, young man. All right, now, as I read this, I want you to notice some movements. There are some movements that, that uh, as, you, as you proceed through this text, some movements that we need to keep in mind. The first movement is actually movement. <laughs> it's movement. It's Paul and his companions on a missionary journey. They have a clear mission. Their mission is to proclaim the gospel. Their mission is to proclaim the gospel, the good news about Jesus, in places it hasn't been proclaimed before. That's what they're doing. And they went through the region of Phrygia. I'm in verse 6 of chapter 16. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, the, the, the guidance here by the Holy Spirit is, is, is very precise. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia concluding together, united, that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they're doing God's will. It's very explicit here, right? They're doing the will of God. They're moving according to the Spirit of God in the, in the direction that He's leading them. Now you got to get that. This is God's will. And they're going to help people. Verse 11, another movement. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which, was a, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. So that means Romans live there. Romans with their customs. Romans with their, with their laws. That's, this was a place where Rome dominated. It was a Roman colony. Now, the Romans weren't overtly hostile to Christianity, but the more that you lived out your Christianity and the closer you got to a Roman, the more you could tell the distinction between the two. So it could become very uncomfortable. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So in, in, in terms of our understanding, there was no church there, but people would gather together to pray because God always has His people in all places. And God's people always manage to get together and do the things that, 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 that are, are the things that God wants us to do and one of those is pray. And so we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. So she had her own business. She was a small business owner. 
The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord, now, this is an aside. We talked about this this morning, what an aside is. It's like a rabbit trail, only I call it an aside, okay? The Lord opened her heart. If you're sharing Christ with any lost people in your sphere of influence, understand this. That you can talk to them until you're blue in the face. That's another expression. I don't know if you understand that phrase or not. But you can talk to your blue in the face, which means you're talking so much that you're out of air. And your face is turning blue. Trying to persuade them. But no one has ever come to Jesus without their heart being opened by the Holy Spirit. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Which means that's what we ought to be praying for as a group. God opened the hearts of those in our sphere of influence. The people that we come in contact with open their hearts. Well, it happened here. And after she was baptized, her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And being a seller of purple goods, she probably had a pretty nice place. And so the first thing that happens after they come into this Roman colony, come into Macedonia and come to Philippi in particular, is they experience success. Somebody gets saved. And they have these wonderful accommodations. Lydia is, is willing to accommodate them, eager to accommodate them. So they experience success. Remember that. They experienced early success. They're, they're doing the will of God as they've been, it's been explicit. This is where I want you to go. God provided this vision. They're going to help. They're experiencing success. Verse 16. As they were going to the place of prayer, as we were going to the place of prayer, this is Paul, uh, this is Luke writing this. He's part of the party. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. And because she had this spirit, or this loosely, loosely phrased, we could call it a gift, she brought her owners much gain by her fortune telling. Because after all, wouldn't it be very convenient for us to be able to know what's going to happen tomorrow? Wouldn't that be really convenient if we could know what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen next Thursday, what's going to happen well, next Thursday is going to be Thanksgiving, so we have a general idea. But what's going to happen next Friday? What's going to happen six months from now? What's going to happen a year from now? Wouldn't that be great? Because what could you do if you knew what was going to happen? You could prepare. And people were willing to pay for this information. And of course, Satan was more than willing to accommodate. She followed Paul. Now, this is not the kind of advertisement you want. It may be true, but it's not the kind of advertisement you want. You, want. you don't want someone who's demon-possessed going around preaching the gospel. There's just an inconsistency there. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Okay, all that's true, but this has come from a demon-possessed girl. And she kept doing this for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to her, the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. 
And it came out that very hour. Verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, nothing, nothing is more tender than when you hit people there. Now, I underline some of these words in my Bible. I'll speak them a little louder. When the owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace and before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And of course they said, why us? Why? We were just doing the will of God. We were just called here to help people. Why us? Why us? Why does this always happen to us? What did we do wrong? Verse 25. About midnight, after a very hectic day, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison was shaken, And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped, because that was on him. But when Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I mean, if this is how you respond to the way that you've been treated, you have something that I need. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house, and he set food before them, and he rejoiced. So he went from the brink of suicide to this place of great joy. 
He rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Let me pray and then we'll try to say a few things that are, that are meaningful. Father, we, just, we, we thank you that uh, we can serve you with joy and be a thankful people. And I pray that this passage would help us with that. We pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. Well, I've finally gotten there, guys. I've finally gotten there to a subject that I'm an expert in. Complaining. I'm a chronic complainer. Chronic. I know there's something chronic about you guys, right? Everybody has something chronic about them, right? This means yes, this means no. Everybody has something chronic. You following me? You with me? I'm a chronic complainer. I know that surprises many of you. That was a joke. <laughs> I'm an expert. It started when I was a kid. You know, <laughs> there, there w I liked vegetables, okay? I liked meat. I liked potatoes. I liked vegetables. I liked anything mom put on a plate, I would eat. I, I know that's hard to believe, too. Anything she would put on. But, but when she put liver on the plate, and my dad loved liver and onions. When she put liver on the plate, then I complained. And of course, whenever a kid complains about food, okay, you serve them food, you work hard to put this food on their plate. Whenever they complain about food, what does the parent say? What is the parental strategy for this complaining about food? Well, you guys, what about the people in, well, this, this week we're going to choose North Korea. Okay, because of the guy that they found with parasites and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So this week, well, you have it so much better than those in North Korea. That's the parental strategy, right? You have it better than them. I guess that's not such a bad strategy. Adults. Do adults whine? No? Yes? Adults whine about annoyances. Adults, adults whine about inconveniences. Adults whine about just about any kind of unwanted, undesirable circumstances. And it is a chronic problem for me. Just being honest. Let me give you some examples. Not, not, these aren't necessarily my examples. One will be very clear that it is. But the others aren't necessarily mine. You ever heard somebody complain along these lines? I'm living with a dripping faucet. Now that could be literal, or it could be figurative. If you haven't figured it out yet, you will. A person can only take so much. Get together with a bunch of guys sometimes and you'll hear that. They won't say, I'm living with a dripping faucet. Another example. 
I'm not getting what I'm not getting paid what I'm worth. When will they start acknowledging my contribution and my effort? I hate this job. Why do I have to live in such a rotten neighborhood? Why isn't my church bursting at the seams with growth? A hint. That could be mine. Why do I feel, why do I feel so confined, so closed in, so shut off? Sometimes I feel like I'm in prison, even in my own home. Now, against these complaints, we could use a similar argument that our parents used against us when we were kids. Right? You have it better than. We've never been beaten by rods for believing in Jesus. Never had to endure the stench. And just imagine the stench of a dungeon-like existence. We'd all agree. Everybody in the room would agree. We have it better than Paul and Silas had it in that dungeon. We'd all agree with that. But the next time we get served liver and onions, we complain. And I'm not the only one. We are default chronic complainers. Harsh reality hits, unwanted circumstances confront us, and we complain. I exert huge, huge amounts of energy resisting the temptation to gripe about my life. My personality doesn't help. This could be, this is, I told you I'm an expert. This is my testimony. You've heard of the glass half full, glass half empty? My glass has a couple of drops, and they're evaporating quickly. Can you imagine how I feel when I read something like, they were in prison, but they were praying and singing. I'm not naturally inclined to be positive. I'm skeptical and even scornful of a hollow and superficial kind of optimism. When I ask somebody, how you doing? And they say, I'm sorry, forgive me in advance. If I ask somebody, how you doing? And they say, living the dream. That is so irritating. 
that is so hollow, that's so superficial. Maybe they're not living a nightmare. But, you know, you ever heard somebody say, you ever heard somebody say this? It is what it is. I hate that too. That's dismissive. I can't be satisfied with that. It is what it is. I want to change it. When I do the right thing, like Paul, like Silas, like their partners, when I do the right thing, I want the right result. I want to be led to green pastures beside still waters. I don't want to have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. When God calls and I go, I expect success. The lack of success is unacceptable. Success is satisfying work and acceptable compensation. Anybody here with me? If you are, it's only natural. Right? Am I, please tell me, am I not just expressing what's in the hearts of us all and the temptations that we all face? All this inner struggle leaves me exhausted much of the time. And then I complain about being tired. There's an alternative, though. And that alternative has confronted me all week long. We can sing instead of scream. And even if we don't scream literally, we're screaming. But we can sing instead. What Paul and Silas did. In maybe not the worst case scenario, but if you want the worst case scenario, it was Jesus. And what did Jesus do from the cross? These are men on the move. Let me just review the story. Men on the move with a critically important mission who are being led in their work by the Holy Spirit. They've been asked to help, and they're ready. And that's good. All of that is so good. They are so ready to help. They're not in any imminent danger as they settle into the territory that they're, that they're about to, to, to work in. They're not in, in any imminent danger. Um, they just come to help. They just want to help. But this place and these people are, aren't entirely friendly toward the message that they bring. It's, it's a Roman place, and there's a natural anti-Semitism. They experience early success, but it's short-lived. There's a confrontation with evil. Paul's actions set in motion a chain of events that landed him in prison. They offended the wrong people. 
They're doing the right thing, but they offended the wrong people. Paul frees a girl from an enslavement that's far worse than being a servant to her earthly masters. But he lands in prison because of it. Paul is doing the will of God. But that brings an undesirable result. Note I didn't say wrong. Paul's doing the will of God, and it brought an undesirable result. Nobody wants to be in prison, and nobody should want to be in prison. That's sadistic. That's wrong. But he's there because he did the right thing. It's undesirable. But it's not wrong. I mean, it, but it, it's, it, it's, it's not wrong that he's there. Because God is sovereign. And sometimes we end up in what appears to be the wrong place for doing the right thing. But it's never the wrong place because God knows what He's doing. It's never accidental. They're wrongly accused and they, and, and they don't have a defense. They're forced to endure terrible suffering for doing good. And at midnight, after a very hectic day, they pray and sing. And others listen, and people get saved. I have some thoughts. Want to hear them? You have to. God leads us to people who need help, and He leads us to people who create problems. Like all of these, like all of you who just said, I don't want to hear what you have to say. God leads us to people who need help and people who create problems. And we have no excuse to whine about it. No excuse. God leads us to green pastures and besides still waters and he also leads us through the valley of the shadow of death and we are not entitled to complain about it so how do we sing when complaining seems so much more natural how do we absorb the pain and praise the Lord? Well, I think it takes some training. But in, but, but in this training, you have to discard what's not helpful and embrace what is helpful. As we train our minds to think correctly about suffering. This is how I naturally think about suffering. And so this is the wrong way to think about suffering. Number one, suffering is to be avoided whenever possible. We live in a culture where that's true. Suffering is something to avoid whenever possible. The sad thing is, that that way of thinking has infiltrated some churches. 
where suffering is something to be avoided whenever possible. And guys, that's not necessarily true. Don't ask for it. But don't ask to avoid it either. Joseph embraced it. Jesus embraced it. Peter embraced it. Paul embraced it. James told the dispersed Christians that they could learn from it and benefit from it. Suffering is not something to be avoided at all costs. It's something, like my New Testament professor Gary Meters said, is something to squeeze out every bit of positive that God is trying to give you from it. But alas, we think suffering is bad, and if we're suffering, something is seriously wrong. No! Doesn't this passage tell us just the opposite? They did the right thing. They did the right thing in the right way. And they suffered for it. Second point. Complaining is natural and appropriate in, circum- in certain circumstances when things are unfair or out of control. Occasionally, I have the right to gripe. Amen? Amen? Can I get an amen? Amen. No, don't amen that, please. No, 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 no. I never, never, ever, never, ever, 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 never, never, ever, ever, never have a right to gripe. Never. Don't let that thought wiggle in. I've had people say, but Dave, even Pastor Dave, I'm only human. True, I can tell. I I look at it. Yeah. You're human. But you're human with the Holy Spirit. You're human in such a way that, 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 that what was once natural is not now natural. What was once your default position is no longer your default position. been changed no longer an ingrate now a grateful believer and God works together all things for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose including Jesus when he walked to the cross in fact he walked with part of the cross on his back when he was brutalized and suffered. He was doing the will of God. And he never complained, but kept entrusting himself 
to the Creator in doing what was good. Third point. I, <laughs> now, all good Americans believe this. Okay? So if you're a good American, you believe this. If you're a good Christian and a good American, you have a conflict. And you need to resolve it, okay? Now you can be both. I, I, I happen to think that I'm both. I'm both patriotic, I, I, I am loyal to my country, as well as being a, a committed Christian, okay? But there does come a time when there's tension. Every American would say this because this is in our Constitution, the Bill of Rights. I'm entitled to a good and comfortable life. Really? Have you read 2 Corinthians? I go on. I'm entitled to a good and comfortable life. I may have to work for it. We all believe that. Everybody in this room believes in hard work. But when I've earned it, it's mine. And no one should be able to take it away. Amen? No! No, 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 no. No, no one worked harder than the Apostle Paul. If you talk about it this way, no one was entitled to a richer and fuller and more satisfying life than the Apostle Paul. But the passage that really strikes us and, and resonates with us and, and challenges us and yet even convicts us is verse 25. In the midst of the dungeon, with the stink all around, they sang praises to God. Paul didn't say, you made a mistake, God. What are we doing here? God yells down, it is what it is. <laughs> Suffering shouldn't surprise us. It can be very productive. When you get a chance, look up 1 Peter. Start in, start in chapter 2, look at verse 21, and then go to 1 Peter 12. 1 Peter 4.12, excuse me, 1 Peter 4.12, and read, read to the, read till you, read till you stop reading. <laughs> stop when you get to chapter 5, I guess. Or just read all of 1 Peter, okay? That'd be a good thing. Suffering, now these are, the, these are the good things about suffering, okay? Suffering may be an indication we're in the right place. We tend to think of suffering as being an indication that we're in the wrong place, but it may indeed be an indication we're in the right place. If we're where God wants us to be, we can trust Him and sing even through the pain. Now you can say amen. 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 So that spouse that's driving you nuts, that kid that's driving you nuts, that job that's driving you nuts, those circumstances that are driving you nuts, they're all custom-made just for you. 
custom made just for you by a sovereign God, intended to teach you how to praise instead of whine and gripe and complain. Right? You can say amen to that. That's counterintuitive, by the way, but you can still say amen because it's true. Whether it's counterintuitive or not, it's true. It's biblical. It's all over the Bible. Singing while suffering can have a profound impact for good on others and even lead to their salvation. But when I complain about this rotten church that God has brought me to in the community, what do people think? You can look up and look at me. I don't complain about this rotten church God has brought me to. I just said that to get your attention. What do people think? Either he's rotten or he goes to a rotten church. But something's rotten. Complaining is just, just, complaining does not accomplish the purposes of God. God wants to draw people. God wants us to be compelling to people. God wants us to exercise a gravitational pull. Now, now complainers can exercise a gravitational pull on other people, right? They can bring other people into their orbit. But then when all those complainers gra- have people gravitate toward them, what happens? You have a bunch of complainers, Right? And unfortunately, churches can fall into that trap. Well, you're not united around, around, around Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ and the, and the, and the family orientation that we have and, and the ado- our adoption in Christ and, 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 and all the benefits of belonging to Christ and all the blessing of belonging to Christ. Some churches become united in their complaining, in their bitterness. Not us. No, 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 not us. We're united in Christ. And if we're not, we're going to get there. God's working on your pastor. This chronic disease, he's addressing it. I'm becoming... And it's a miracle. A thankful person. If we can sing and pray when it hurts, other people can be helped. There's no room for why me? There's just no room for What's up with this? Judy, if you had a nickel 
for every time I said that or something similar, the woman would be wealthy. Let's bottom line it, okay? I'm not there yet. And I strongly suspect that we all have a ways to go on this path. But here's a vision of where God's taking you. Paul says it like this in Philippians. Whether I'm eating good or I'm eating just a little. Whether times are good or times are bad. God is worthy to be praised honored, adored. And it's true. It convicts me to the core of my being. (laughs) I'm a complainer born of complainers. But I'm changing. And so can you. We can sing. We can live our life singing praises to our God. Heavenly Father, we are so, so challenged by this text and yet so grateful that you would, that you would point out to us areas where we need your help to be the people you want us to be. People who are, who are grateful even when times aren't so good. People who sing the praises of, of God and, and, and because of that unleash a power that, that enables others to get saved. God, we praise you for what you're doing in our lives. You're raising us to a level that's beyond natural. To a supernatural way of living life. It's counterintuitive, but it it, it expresses your love in this world. So help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.